But today we're going to talk about stay home lessons or the stay at home orders that we've heard so much about across the country and even here in our state. Uh, I am so thankful. Uh, he's certainly not perfect like no one, but uh, our governor has done an excellent job. Thank God he's opened things back up and never ever put any restrictions on the churches and understanding the constitution the first amendment um, but anyway i'm i'm glad for what the president said this past friday uh, there are thank god there well we'll say more about that maybe in a minute but uh, this coming wednesday night services, of course, um, going on. We're still in the book of Proverbs. Um, uh, the Lord may come. We may still be in the book of Proverbs. But uh, anyway, it's a great study in God's Word. And uh, youth ministry will be meeting, practicing social distancing. I'll be glad when I don't have to say that anymore. But, uh, and I believe it will be in the near future. But um, then next Sunday... Next Sunday is Pentecost Sunday. And uh, it's a great, great day to celebrate. And churches around the world of all different denominations celebrate Pentecost Sunday. Even those that are not Pentecostal, they celebrate it because it's recognized worldwide as the birth of the church of Jesus Christ. Out of that upper room, came the 120, baptized in the Holy Spirit, speaking in a heavenly language. And so we're believing that people are going to get baptized in the Holy Spirit, whether, whether they got a mask, you don't, you can have a mask on or not. God can still baptize you in the Holy Spirit. So we are excited about next week. Several weeks ago, and I have some pastor friends in California, uh, they were trying to get in touch with the governor. There was no response at that point. And um, when they did touch base, his response was, look, guys, it's going to be another at least three to six months. Did you hear what I said? It's going to be another at least three to six months. Now, I believe in submitting to governmental authorities. The only exception to that is when they cross God's word, or they try to get you to violate God's word, that's another story. And these pastors rose up, not in rebellion, not absolutely no tint or hint of rebellion, but they rose up and they said, no, the church is vital. It's about the kingdom of God. It's more important than government. Uh, and so we've got to get on with the business of what God has called us to do. And so next week, Pentecost Sunday, some 3,000 to 4,000 churches in California across the state are planning to open um, and worship and pray and not in rebellion. That's not even a, not even a little bit of, uh, they've gone overboards to try to do things right. So anyway, we're going to, uh, we're going to pray because there are, there are some governors that need prayer. I don't know what's going through their minds. They may have a good heart, but um, this nation is starting to suffer dramatically economically. 20 plus million out of work in the Bay Area of California in the last four weeks. The attempted suicides equaled to a normal one year uh, attempted suicides. So re recently someone told me of a local doctor, an orthopedic doctor that was very busy at work because people literally driving their fists through the wall and frustration uh, and loss of work, loss of income, not knowing what they were going to do. When you don't have God, when you don't have God, uh, it, it's probably more than they can handle and certainly is in many cases. So we want to pray because our governors and some of them Last week in Chicago, or the week before, police were sent to block off cars at a Romanian church that were doing everything they could safety-wise. The same as 
Walmart or Publix or whoever else is doing what they can safety-wise. But uh, they blocked it off, I mean, and have just been, not the police, because they're just following orders. But let's pray. Father, we do pray for our nation. We pray for our president. God, we ask you to speak to his heart, lead him, guide him. We pray for our Congress. We pray the same. We pray, Lord God, that they would all realize it's not what they want. Ultimately, God, it's what you want. And I pray that you would turn their hearts, even those that don't know you, I pray you would turn their hearts toward you and humble themselves before you. I pray for our Supreme Court. I ask you to give these men and women wisdom beyond themselves. And Lord, I pray for our country and all those millions of people out of work, those that literally don't know what they're going to do. I pray, God, that they would turn to you and the peace of God would sweep across this land. Revival would begin to break out, oh Lord God, and people would repent and turn to you with all their heart, soul, and mind and strength. God, I ask you, Lord, for all the churches across this country, give the pastors wisdom. Lord, help those churches to be an impactful force in this world. Lord, around the world, we lift up nations that are reeling from this virus and health-wise and those that are so poverty-stricken already. God, I pray for your mercy. God, we pray for your mercy in the name of Jesus. Have mercy on America. Have mercy on this world. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Everybody said... Amen. Praise God. Well, do you know, you probably forgot, but do you know what uh, is coming up? It's just 28 days. Today is just 28 days to Father's Day. For heaven's sakes, can you believe it? It's right around the corner. We get to celebrate dads. And uh, moms, I am so sorry. We're going to make it up to you next year by the grace of God. All right, I'm telling you. We're going to blow the doors off for moms next year. But this year was fun. So many of you drove by. We gave you a rose, gave you chocolate, gave you a meal. Um, so we celebrated you the best we could. But next year, oh, well, hang on, all right? Well, praise God forever. Dad's day is coming. 30 or 28 days. Uh, I'm so proud of all of you, those online, those at the campuses. So proud of all of you. When this thing started, and we started hearing of some of our people losing their jobs, we felt like, boy, we better do something. We allocated $100,000 to help people with essential bills, and uh, uh, you know, no fault of their own. They were losing their jobs. And uh, to date, quickly, let me give it to you. To date, people in our church have given some $260,000 toward this need, all right? And wow, Pastor Ben's still busy at work, but to date, we've given out about $360,000 to people in our church in need, uh, people even outside our church in need. So uh, we haven't been able to help everybody with everything they needed, but boy, that's, uh, that's a blessing and God has blessed us. We've gone from, Pastor Ben said, from some 77% of people giving online till about 93% of people giving online. So that's, that is tremendous. It's uh, what a blessing that is. Well, today we're gonna talk about stay home lessons. How many of you have learned a few lessons in the last few weeks? Any lessons? Maybe you learned some things about yourself you didn't know. Maybe you learned some things about God that you didn't know. Uh, maybe you blew it a few times. Uh, I have to admit to you, there have been a few times I blew it. 
I got emotional and it was like a, a heaviness of trying to deal with the, the abnormality of what was going on and the, the sense of seemingly almost oppression at times. But thank God you come out of that. There were times I even got a little angry. Anybody here get angry at all? Oh my Lord, there looked like about half of you. Uh, all right, God, how mercy. <laughs> but uh, we got angry a little bit. I got angry just hearing of people losing their jobs. It was, uh, it, it was just an emotional trip in many respects, but there are lessons to learn. Even if you feel like you totally blew it, there is a lesson of the fact that you totally blew it, all right? So God gives you other opportunities and God's not gonna cast you aside. You, uh, he dusts you off, picks us up, and we keep going by the grace of God, amen. All right, so there's a reason for uh, everything we go through, every event we go through, there's a lesson to learn, there's something to grow from it, and so this stay-at-home order, boy, I'll be glad when I don't hear that anymore, stay-at-home order, stay-at-home order, uh, and many are stay-at-home law. Actually, they're not laws, and, and almost 99% of they're orders, all right? So stay at home. At least, thank God, at least they did not use the term hunker down, all right? Thank God they didn't say that. And by the way, I want to say to all of you, it's been nine, 10 weeks since we've seen most of you. I just want to say, you all look so much better than you did 10 weeks ago. I don't know what it is. I can't say that about you online, all right? But, because I can't see you, but I'm sure you do too. Of course, some of you, Hadn't been up very long, probably hadn't even combed your hair. So anyway, go comb your hair, all right? But uh, there is some lesson to learn in every situation in life. And even though we've had, quote, uh, stay-at-home uh, guidelines, still we sense the presence of God. Still God spoke to our hearts. Still, even in a moment of anger, God was patient with us and still is. So whatever shelter in place we may experience uh, in life, maybe a few more before life is over, whatever it may be, understand God will always be there with you. And even in the turmoil of it, God's hand will rest upon your life. Well, Noah was sheltered by God for a whole year in a boat full of animals. I think I'll take nine weeks without the animals, all right? So anyway, uh, a whole year sheltered in an ark uh, with a boat full of animals and his immediate family. And uh, think, thank God, then he got off and built an altar, as Pastor Marcos said. Uh, Joseph was sheltered by God uh, in slavery and then in a prison from the time he was about 17 to uh, most people think around 30. That's still debatable. But Joseph spent years sheltered by God in a place he really didn't want to be, but God used it to bring greatness to his life and to prepare him for that greatness. So I want to say to you, I believe this with all my heart, that though we have all been sheltered for a much shorter time, God is going to use it to prepare you for something great in your life. And so you've grown, you're learning lessons that are going to prepare you to go to another level in God. Say amen, all right. And then there was Jonah. Oh, I wouldn't want to take the place of any three of these, but, but Jonah was sheltered by God in the belly of a well for three days and three nights. And uh, all of us are captivated by that story. No doubt have been since we were children. So let's look a little bit at his story because in that story of sheltering during that three days and nights, Jonah learned some significant lessons that I hope that you and I will have as takeaways in our own life. Jonah says, then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the fish's belly. 
And he said, let's stop there. Jonah was a preacher. Uh, Jonah was a man of God. But when God told Jonah to go to Nineveh and preach uh, uh, repentance, Jonah was like, I don't think so. Now, the city of Nineveh was filled with uh, 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 wicked warriors. They're, they were men, uh, and their armies were vicious, and they had a cruelty about them unmatched by any other army at that time. And so if anything, Jonah would have wanted the demise of Nineveh, not the repentance and for their cruelty and viciousness and how they had even treated many of the people in the Jewish nation. They, he would have wanted them to uh, literally be annihilated. But instead, this shows the mercy of God. Here's a nation full of warriors known for their cruelty. And yet God speaks to his preacher and says, go to that nation, preach repentance. And, uh, and even though God wanted it, Jonah did not. So the story, God didn't know, or Jonah, I should say Jonah didn't know that when he was on that boat and about to be thrown overboard, Jonah did not know that God had prepared a fish uh, or a whale, whatever it was, it was big enough to swallow him whole. God, Jonah did not know that that fish was prepared. So when Jonah was thrown overboard, a big, huge fish comes up out of the water and just swallows Jonah whole. And down, down, down he goes into the belly of the whale. Now, let's pick it up. And he said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction. At that moment, Jonah wanted only one thing. He wanted out. When this whole thing started, most of us in the natural wanted only one thing, and that was out of this experience that we were going through. Jonah, no exception. I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction, my I'm praying for me. I'm praying for me, Jonah, is praying for himself. And many times we've done the same. Our prayers center on us. God, I want this. I want that. God, help me. God, this is difficult. Get me out. And uh, God may be saying, I'm going to get you out by taking you through. And so whatever God says uh, is what we must do because God's got a higher purpose than what we're presently going through. So he answered me. Now, Jonah says he'd just been swallowed by the whale. The implication is this prayer was immediate. Oh, God, get me out of here. God, deliver me. Don't let me die in this belly of this whale. Don't let these acidic juices, Lord, uh, literally, I mean, consume my body. Don't let this happen to me, God. And he answered me, Jonah said. God answered Jonah, but he doesn't tell us what God said. He doesn't say, well, God said this, so we don't know. But we do know this, Jonah did not get the answer to his present prayer. And he says, I, he answered me out of the belly of Sheol. He felt like he was in hell. Some of you have no doubt felt that. Out of the belly of hell, I cried, he said, and he heard my voice. He's like, God, I'm in hell. This is hell, God, get me out of here. But God doesn't answer his prayer for deliverance. We go to verse seven. Finally, I don't know at what point, probably near the end of the three days and nights, Jonah says this, when my soul fainted, my mind, my emotions, my whole ability to try to solve this problem fainted within me. Then he says, it fainted. And then he said, I remembered the Lord. How many of you have ever physically fainted? Anybody here? Raise your hand. I want to say, boy, a bunch of fainters in here. All right, so uh, you didn't do it on purpose, I know. All right, but it's a weird feeling. Uh, it's when all the oxygen uh, drops out of your brain and all of a sudden you go unconscious. 
Did you go unconscious? All right, several of you went unconscious. I did too, just went unconscious. Fell over on my pregnant wife and uh, helped her to deliver her baby. All right, so anyway, it was, it was amazing. I woke up a few moments later with a nurse trying to, hey, you okay, you okay? Where, 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 where am I? And it uh, was a crazy feeling. But Jonah, in the belly of this whale, he reached the end of himself. He collapsed. He absolutely, mentally, emotionally collapsed. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. When I came to the end of myself, and this is what has happened in the last few weeks with many, we come to the end of ourselves, and then we remembered God. It wasn't any longer, God, help me, get me out of here. God, do this for me, do that for me. But then we remembered the goodness of God. And then something miraculous happened. Jonah began to stop asking for help. And at that point, just saying, God, whether I live or die, whether I get out of this fish or I'm consumed by this fish, I'm gonna praise you right out of the depth of my despair. God, I'm gonna praise you. And he started remembering God and started thinking about the goodness of God. And, and then he says in Jonah 8, he's 2.8, he says, those who regard worthless idols, his eyes were all of a sudden open to the things of this world and the worthlessness of anything and everything without God. And he says, those who regard worthless idols, they forsake their own mercy. Wow. In other words, Jonah came to the revelation as well as we should if we haven't that the pursuit of idols, anything that takes away from Jesus being first in our life, it could be anything, and I won't go into mentioning the thousands that it could be, but anything that makes Jesus number two instead of number one is an idol or can be an idol. And so he says, these worthless idols, everything that I've pursued that did not involve pursuing you, God calls me to forsake your mercy. Every day, folks, every morning, this morning, God had new mercies available for you. Every one of you in this place, every person online, new mercies for you. Uh, divine blessing for you, those at Michigan and Redbug and wherever else you are listening. There is a new batch of mercy today for you from God. His blessing, his provision, his compassion and it seeks after you. But if you're seeking something else, Jonah discovered, I'm forsaking my own mercy. I'm forsaking, God's trying to chase us down with blessing and we're running in another direction instead of running to him where the blessing is. And then he says, I offered a sacrifice of thanksgiving. Now folks, Here's where it happened. Here's where it happened. This is the lesson. When you learn to sacrifice a praise to God in the worst of situations, then you have really worshiped. When you can worship when you're sick and you're on your supposed deathbed and you say, God, whether I live or whether I die, I'm gonna worship you with all my heart. You and you alone are worthy of all praise and glory and honor. God, whether I have a job or I don't have a job, I'm gonna worship you, Lord, from the depth of my soul. Lord, I'm gonna worship you. It's the sacrifice of praise. So, lesson number one, focus on God. Make him number one. Folks, I don't know in the historical biblical time where we, where we are, but I do know this. We are closer to the tribulation, great tribulation. We're closer to the rapture, which will usher it in than ever before. Of course we are. And so, maybe this little uh, seven or eight or nine weeks of time, maybe it is simply a prelude to prepare us for things that are coming that we will not sustain unless we make him number one in our lives and get into the words. I challenge you, 
Get into the Word of God, which will be an anchor to your soul, regardless of what you and I face in the future. Now, let's go to, once we've got God lined up in the right place, he's number one. Say he's number one. Thank God. He's number one. He's number one. He is number one in our lives. Alice and I made that deal when we got married. I looked at her and I said, you're number two. He's number one. I think she did it first. I think she's the one that said, look, wrote me a note and said, my number two. I'm like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. I married the wrong woman. She got somebody else on the side. Come to find out she did. She had Jesus on the side, all right? Lesson number two. Lesson number two, get your finances in order. Get your, boy, boy, didn't we learn that lesson. Get your finances in order. I mean, set up a plan. It doesn't matter what, where you are right now in your finances. Start planning to line up your finances. Uh, start planning. The blessing is coming. God is going to restore. So you start now planning. Okay, this is what I'm going to do. We need to spend less and save more. I mean, uh, people have not been eating out. Some of you have saved so much money from just not eating out. And uh, of course, your cooking may not be as good as theirs, but uh, still you're alive, all right? But spend less, save more. Stop buying cars and other things you could barely afford when you were having it good. And now you can't afford when things are not so good. So save, save, save. Buy, now's a good time to buy some term insurance, all right? Buy some term insurance. If you're a couple here, men, dear Lord, if you don't have some insurance, uh, where, ooh, goodness, you may be dead, but we're coming after you. All right, so anyway, uh, we want you now, get some term insurance. So many times I've seen ladies left with kids and, and a lost income, so get a lot of insurance, all right? And I've got enough to take care of Alice. I, I don't want her, you know, one day I'm gonna die. Uh, uh, I don't want her looking around. I don't have any money to bury him in a, we don't have the casket money. Oh, just get me an Amazon box. He'll fit in there. And so she'll put me in an Amazon box. Ship me off to the cemetery. All right, so. No, I want a nice, nice box. I don't want to be buried in an Amazon box, all right? I want a nice big casket. I want a good funeral. I want you to cry and, uh, and I'd be grieved like you. Uh, any, uh, then I want you to sing and dance out of here, all right? Anyway, prepare a will. Prepare a will for heaven's sakes. Please, you can go online, our church website. You can download it, get it free. You, you've got to leave 10% to the Lord's work, the, the church, but you'll be dead. You won't even worry about it, all right? So just do it. Someone is, the judge is liable to give your kids to some redneck relative of yours if you don't make this right, all right? So get your act together financially. Learn the lesson that we need to save and spend more, all right? And then number three, and I, oh, this is a cornerstone to this. Where am I at? All right, I'm okay. Number three, don't unscripturally judge people. Don't unscripturally judge people. Okay, tighten your seatbelt, all right? So Anyway, I'm gonna give you a scripture. It's in John chapter seven, verse 24, the words of Christ. It says, do not judge. It doesn't stop there, does it? Do not judge according to what? Appearance, what you see or think you see with your eyes. Now, in a, in a life of 24 seven news cycle, let me just tell you, much of what you see in here is a lie, distortion, exaggeration, and sometimes downright deceit. And it happens all the time. And you better be careful. Let's go back to that verse. Do not judge according to appearance. Do you believe this is the word of God? Then he says, don't judge according to appearance. And then he says, but... Judge, we are to judge as Christians, but judge with righteous 
judgment. So we do judge situations and we even do judge sin, but we do it righteously. Let me tell you a time when years ago I didn't, didn't do it righteously. I saw the news, saw a news clip of Ralph DeLorean. He used to build cars in California. Ralph DeLorean, I didn't know him. And I saw him on the news and it looked like he was involved in a drug deal. And the news had it on. And I'm like, well, of course he's guilty. And I said to my wife, he's guilty as mud. I, I said last night, I said, I don't really know what that means or where it came from. Someone told me it comes from Dr. Mudd, who they thought was involved in trying to kill or killing uh, President Lincoln. And I'm like, oh, that's interesting because many people thought he was guilty as mud, Dr. Mudd. But uh, so I thought Ralph DeLorean, guilty as mud. I saw it with my own eyes. So I tell Al, oh, he's guilty, guilty. Oh, I can't even believe, you know, uh, they don't even need to have a trial. I say he's guilty, all right? And then, sometime later, goes by. I'm in my car. I'm listening to a Christian radio station, and all of a sudden, they start interviewing, of all people, Ralph DeLorean on a Christian station. And they're talking to him, and he's telling his story, and he's telling what really happened. And then I realized something through his words that this man was a praying man. He was a believer. And I'm driving along in the car and shame starts coming into my life. The shame of judging someone. In, in, and I didn't know he was a believer, but even a believer, I judged him. And shame came over me. And then the more I heard him talk, and at the end he said, I was just thanking God when they said you're innocent. And I repented and cried and wept and said, God, forgive me. God, forgive me. God, forgive me. You know, today, there's a lot of this going on. A lot of judging going on during this. You know, this per expert says this, this one says this, this one's doing that, that one's not doing this. You know, there used to be the day when you could sneeze in public and people would smile and say, God bless you. Now it's like if you feel a sneeze coming on, it's like, oh my God. Are you okay? And then if you do sneeze, it's like, oh my Lord. They treat you like a criminal. You feel like a criminal. You feel shame. And then if you cough, I mean, it's normal for people to sneeze and cough. And then when you cough, I don't know what all that pressure's doing inside. It couldn't be good for us, all right? But don't judge people like that. For heaven's sakes, my God, have mercy. And listen, those of you online, we're not judging you. We're not saying you don't have enough faith. We're not saying, you know, you're, you know, da, da, da. We're not saying things about you for not being here. Of course not. Our attitude is, you've, until you feel comfortable, as long as that's not a year from now, all right? So, because um, then I'm going to say there's another issue. Well, I'm, I'm going to say that a whole lot before a year goes by. But anyway, uh, no, we're not going to judge you. Uh, someone recently said, they said, Pastor, we're going we're gonna to wait a week or two. And I'm like, great. There's no problem. Of course, I will. We look forward to seeing you. And yet, at the same time, I'm assuming that no one sitting there or hearing about this service is saying, hell, I can't believe they're having service. I can't believe they're doing it. I mean, somebody's gonna get sick. Don't you dare say something negative, okay? We prayed over this safe place. We've sanctified this place. And so we've sanctified it. We've uh, sanitized it. And so, uh, no, you... I'd worry about going in public. I don't know if anybody's praying over them, all right? So anyway, take your chances over there or stand outside and pray before you go in. But don't say anything negative. <laughs> don't judge us and don't judge me. Uh, that six news report came on the other night. I woke up Saturday morning, looked at some wonderful comments, and then there's a guy that don't, doesn't go to our church saying, I can't, I didn't even read the rest of it. 
I blocked him. I'm like, he doesn't go to church. I know he needs Jesus, but I'm not putting up with that stuff. I blocked him. I felt really good about it too. And so anyway, uh, I don't want to hear that stuff. There's too much judging going on in the wrong way. Well, Matthew 7, verse 1. Oh, I've got to hurry. Okay. Judge not. Okay, that verse, that, those two words right there are more misused words out of the Bible than probably any other two words in the Bible. Even non-Christians know this and use it. And Christians have been known to use it too. Someone comes to someone or says something about, hey, you know, I'm concerned about you and this and what's happening in your life. I love you. Don't judge me. Don't judge me. Judge not, the Bible says. That is not what Jesus said. Jesus said, don't judge unrighteously. Don't judge unscripturally, all right? And, and two areas of judging unscripturally is not having all the facts and uh, then having sin in your own life more than even the person you're trying to speak to. Let's read it. And uh, judge not that you be not judged for with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. Now, please look at that verse. Jesus says, if you judge people unrighteously and you don't repent, let me put that in there, all right? If you judge people unrighteously, you don't have all the facts, you condemn somebody. The word, uh, I hate to even use it, the word racist is thrown around in our country as if people can see somebody's heart. You cannot see somebody's heart. You don't really know, even if you think what they've done or, or said is racist. You don't really know the person's heart. Only God does. And so we need to be careful. But it says, if you judge somebody unrighteously, Jesus says, the measure you use, the intensity you use, that is the way you are going to be measured. In other words, if you judge by appearance and you judge harshly, people are going to judge you harshly. The same kind of judgment you use is coming back at you. And so this principle is real. That's why we'll give you a chance to repent before this service is over because we've probably all done it. And even some, have, they get on Facebook and they make judgmental statements and they're good Christian people and they need to wake up and realize they need to stop that. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Why do you look at the speck? Sometimes, you're looking at something small in someone's life, but do not consider the plank in your own eye. Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye and look, a big old plank is in yours. That'd be like someone living or, you know, just being immoral and adulterous and fornicating. And then, I mean, judging someone for showing up late one morning out of the week. Uh, and so they've got a plank, they've got a speck, the one where the plank's trying to straighten the speck out. And he says, hypocrite. Jesus said, you are a hypocrite. If you've got a plank and they've got a speck and you're trying to remove their speck, he says, first, remove the plank, judge yourself. The number one person we're to judge is ourselves. We judge ourselves. That's what communion is about. We judge ourselves. And then we can judge the actions of our husband, our wife, our children. But we don't judge people we're not called to judge. We don't wear a robe and get to judge people we know nothing about or we don't have all the facts lest they, somebody else puts on a robe and judges us. No, let's be careful. So then Jesus says, it's okay to judge a situation, a person with a speck, but you've got to get cleaned up yourself. And then you can see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. 
In other words, Jesus said, yes, we have to judge, but we do it righteously. We do it lovingly. We do it tenderly. If I got something in my eye, I would, you know how it is. You get something in your eye and you're like, <laughs> I wouldn't even dare let Alice. I No, I'm not letting her. She's liable to hurt me. And so I, I rate, unless I can't get it out, then I'm going to ask her. But we're so sensitive about our eye. We take a little tissue. We wet the little pointed end. We barely touch. We got an uh, eyelash and pull it. Oh, thank you, God. That's the way we are to treat one another when we're trying to help them with some speck in their eye. Recently, and I'm going to close with this. God help me. Um, recently, you saw probably a mugshot of Pastor Rodney Howard Brown. Um, I don't know why all mugshots look so terrible. They, sh um, they must have a special camera to make you look like a criminal, all right? He is not a criminal. He's a great man of God. Um, and I knew that when I saw his mug shot. I don't know why they don't use glamour shots. They should fix them up, all right? So anyway, um, but a few weeks ago, his church in Tampa, they had service uh, like two days or a day and a half after the mayor came out on a Friday afternoon said, nope, can't do no church services, no nothing. We're locking the city down. But what people didn't know, when they saw his picture and they said, pastor arrested in Tampa um, for holding a church service. People judged this man. They said he is brought into possibility. Hundreds of people could have been infected. The news media put on the screen shots of his service packed out. Um, this man is not perfect, I know. Well, I don't know, but anyway, I assume. But as a result of those accusations, and this went around the world, his picture went around the world. He's got a great church in Tampa and a great ministry in South Africa where he's from. They feed hundreds and hundreds of poverty-stricken people in a certain area in Tampa. Um, those people don't have internet, so when they went to go online, they didn't have internet and they wanted to come to church. So they bought, this church bought $100,000 worth of disinfectant equipment, $100,000. They had their ushers on that Sunday in question wearing masks, wearing gloves. They did the social distancing. They did everything right. And furthermore, the Thursday before they met, they met with the sheriff and he said, it's okay. And then the news comes out. They've arrested him or called him to turn himself in, charged him. Then a Christian agency here in town, great men, great people, filed a federal lawsuit against the city because they knew it was unconstitutional. Um, and they knew they were going to win. But he was not vindictive. The pastor was not vindictive, even though he was getting death threats and people saying all kinds of horrible, horrible, vicious, vicious stuff. And then the rest of the story starts coming out. What you saw on the screen of your television or computer or phone was not the whole truth and nothing but the truth. The truth was that was not the service that this took place. They spent all this money that was probably better infected than some hospitals in there. And they had done all the social distancing just like we've done here this morning. Furthermore, the sheriff had given them the okay, even though the mayor they knew was coming out with this, you know, stay at home order the next afternoon. He had given them permission. But then from pressure from the mayor, who's pretty radical, I hear, and um, the media, and then the public rousing up like a mob against him and his church, the sheriff does what he does. To his incredible credit, the sheriff, since all those events took place, has gone to see pastor and ask his forgiveness. This coming Sunday, Pentecost Sunday, he's supposed to be at that church, the sheriff, to ask again 
for all of them to forgive him for his part in all of that. And of course, pastor had no problem. He's a man of God. He had no problem forgiving, even with the pain and the hurt. No problem forgiving. Forgiveness is such a powerful thing. And when a man in authority who's made some mistakes is willing to humble himself, I know what that church is going to do. I don't even have to be there. They're probably going to stand on their feet. We love you. We forgive you because that's what Christians do. Bow your heads with us, please. Jesus. Everyone there online, there at the campuses, Redbug, Michigan, bow your heads with us. We've all learned some lessons about ourselves, about God. We've learned some lessons on the practical realm. And hopefully maybe even this one about judging. Wasn't a clear issue in our lives, but right now the Holy Spirit is making it plain. And we're realizing it's so easy to fall into this trap by what we see, but yet not all know. Father, I thank you for your forgiveness. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that on that cross, this greatest example of forgiveness that's ever happened, when the soldiers crucified you, drove the nails into your feet and hands, pressed that crown of thorns deep into your scalp, beat you to nearly death. God, you looked out at them and said, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. Father, forgive them. Who can ignore that kind of forgiveness? Who can diminish that kind of forgiveness? Who can say no to that kind of forgiveness if you really understand it? And so today, I want to ask, here in the auditorium, there at the campuses, if you need Christ, you need to turn back to God. Maybe that's what's happened. You just drifted during this time away from God. You need to turn back to God. Just quickly, just lift your hand. Even there online, I pray that you would acknowledge it. If you're here, yes, just lift your hand up and acknowledge I'm not going to call you out. I'm just going to pray for you. So lift it up. God bless you. Others. Others, God bless you. God bless you. Yes, God bless you. And online, there are those. During this time, you've gotten ang angry, and that anger has led you away from God. God's chasing you with his mercy, and you're running from it. And then I want to ask, you love God with all your heart, but you're in a hard place right now. And you're at a place where you feel like, hey, I'm like, kind of like Jonah, I, I, I've fainted. I, I feel like I've collapsed mentally, emotionally. I, I need God. And we want to pray for you. Slip your hand up. Acknowledge that. God bless you guys. God bless you. Jesus, Jesus. Father, here in this service, there at Michigan, at Redbug, online. First of all, for those who have drifted away from you, I thank you that you have opened your arms wide. And God, they can turn and instead of running away from your mercy, they can run to your mercy. God, and to your forgiveness. Lord, I pray for those that love you, but they found themselves in a place that's dark that's unknown, they've never been at before. God, and fear is knocking on the door or has already entered. God, set them free. May they simply remember the key today. God, regardless of what happens, I will worship you. I will put you first in everything I do. God, I will do it. 
My plan has not worked, God, but I turn to you. I remember you. And I offer the sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving from a heart of hurt, but I offer it to you. Father, bless these people in Jesus' name. Bless them. Stand with us, please, here in the auditorium and uh, the other campuses. God bless you. Pastor John is going to lead us in a chorus, and then he's going to lead us in a closing prayer. Blessings to all of you today. Have a wonderful and blessed day. our cry today that we will build our lives on your love and on your word and on your will for us Lord we'll put our trust in you and in you alone God knowing that as we put our trust in you we won't be shaken we won't be put to shame but that God you will always make a way for us your people I pray in Jesus name for those that have made a new commitment to you today I pray your strength upon their lives God your direction in every day that they move forward from here I pray for those that have recommitted themselves to you, God. I pray in Jesus' name that you also will strengthen them, Lord, that you'll encourage them and connect them to good people and good situations, God, that will always remind them of your love and your purpose for their lives. I pray, God, for those that have been going through difficult situations, God, that hope would continue to rise, that joy would continue to rise, Lord God, in their lives, and that they would be reassured of your promises that you will make a way for them and all things work will work together for their good. And as we all face this week to come, I pray, Lord God, that we would face it with you as our guide, with you taking us step by step and day by day. We love you and thank you and honor you, God, for the blessings that you're bestowing upon everyone in the sound of my voice. In Jesus' name, amen.